Hello and welcome to All Alone with Something to Say. If you've clicked on us by accident, welcome. And if you've clicked on us on purpose, welcome, mom. This is your host, Emma Newberry. I am a 23-year-old Boston-based journalist and podcaster. I write about arts, culture, politics, religion, pretty much anything that has to do with how people's conceptions of reality are constructed and expressed. The show is really still finding its legs, as I'm sure we all still are during this pandemic, but I can tell you that it was born of a desire to do more than just react passively to what's going on around me and around us, but to think and process in the most productive and self-aware possible way. This is a podcast for people who want to understand why they think the way they do, how they think, and to really confront aspects of ourselves that we find reflected back in culture, in art, music, that's both of those fall under culture, you see where I'm going, and be critical and not be afraid to be critical of both ourselves, that's myself and my guests, and also of the systems that we're complicit in, of the construction and normalcy that we uphold in how we choose to interact and what we choose to consume, and all of the ways in which we present ourselves to the world. The inaugural mini-sode, also known as a trial run, is called Ladies' Choice. I'm Pam Rosen. I am a grad student. I'm 26 years old. I'm Emma's roommate, and I also like true crime. So today, we're going to be exploring the relationship between women and true crime, particularly white women, and we're speaking as two white women. And yeah, you know, we're we are two white women talking about this and um, filling the space with our white voices. But honestly, I don't know how you feel, but it seems to me that at least our point is that we don't want to just be consuming this and talking about this in the kind of comfortable vacuum or bubble that true crime can invite. And I feel like it's up to us to be more conscious of and in our consumption of it. So we really should be the ones that are unpacking this. Obviously, we can't get into everything in this first episode. Because unlike us, who are totally comfortable sitting through multiple cult documentaries <laughs> and talking about Xenu, most people would rather listen to something short and sweet. Mm-hmm. So in this first episode, we will be talking about some of our biggest question marks, dare I say red flags, in our relationship with true crime media. I've been thinking a lot about the phrase true crime, because on its surface, it's just distinguishing itself from fictional portrayals of crime, I guess. But the word true is an intensifier it legitimizes. And what I'm wondering is what is it that we're leaving out when we make the distinction of what merits the true crime level of attention and of curiosity? Or maybe more importantly, who are we leaving out? The most pressing thing to us is a question that can act as a rude awakening. We have really hit a watershed moment in our society for white fragility, as in we are seriously examining and reckoning with the complicity and culpability of white women, even woke liberal white women that we would all like to consider ourselves to be in our nation's history and today. White women have been largely spared from having to confront our own complicity in our country's history of slavery and discrimination 
and murder, frankly. I mean, think about all of the articles that have come out and discussions that have been unfolding around the legitimate violence of white tears. Is this really the time for us as white women to be okay with escaping a news cycle and a daily reality that is reminding us of our own culpability with a kind of media like true crime, which disproportionately highlights our victimhood? We don't think so. We're going to do a little bit of a dive into what the relationship is between white women and true crime. A study published in the Journal of Radio and Audio Media in 2018 took a relatively small sample size, about 308, but determined that of that number, 73% of the true crime podcast audience is female. What's more, they kind of skewered us in the conclusion section, <laughs> where they basically summarized that the top three reasons women listen to true crime are, quote, entertainment, convenience, and boredom. Additionally, three motivating factors were found to be significantly more salient for females than for males. Social interaction, escape, and voyeurism. End quote. Yeah. That's harsh. I think skewer is the right word. I think so. Um, That's, okay. Convenience just feels like especially callous to me. But I also feel like there are so many things that qual- like that fit into those three categories that are not true crime. Like the meme audience is pretty like <laughs> equal, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like some subsection of memes or podcasts or whatever that like men prefer that are also probably convenient and entertaining and people gravitate towards them because they're bored. The motivating factors, social interaction, escape, and voyeurism, those are more specific, but it's still like probably the kind of thing that could apply to like a wide variety of media or entertainment. I also have to say, having recently watched the documentary Voyeur about Guy Talese, and his subject that he wrote about. Voyeurism for women is a really different thing than voyeurism for men. That's true. I feel like I get the idea of like a subject observing an object and Mm -hmm. like the observing in and of itself being detrimental to the object. I think that's totally fair, but I, I absolutely see your point. Also like just with the word voyeurism and the terms that jump out to me, entertainment, convenience, and boredom, like Hmm. What four-letter word characterizes those things? I don't know. Porn, <laughs> which is point. disproportionately male audience. But you know what? That's not why we're here. We're going to keep that in, but that's not <laughs> why we're here. Yeah, I mean, you said like these descriptors can really explain a lot of media that we consume. And I think they do sort of make the point that it can describe any media. But the interesting thing about this form of media is that it's not fictional. It's not, you know, an escapist sort of thing where we don't need it to be realistic or don't need it to be real or can have that fairy tale ending or, you know, anything that might be in fictionalized crime drama or whatever. And like the whole point is that these people actually did suffer and they did die or these people did actually commit these heinous crimes. And we have a similar relationship to it as we might something that's not true. Like I think Rachel Monroe's quote really does sort of get at that. She describes the true crime audience, which is primarily female, um, as, quote, existing in this zone between privilege and vulnerability. And she goes on to say, to enjoy it, you need to be privileged enough to not live it in your daily reality. If it's your own life, it's hard to find it entertaining, but also enough aware of your own vulnerability to empathize. And then she ends with the pithy, it's always complicated. Yeah. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) 
Actually, no. It's a nice quote because that's I like her quote. I think it's descriptive, but I also think it's like a very comfortable positioning. Yeah. Admitting privilege and admitting some semblance of vulnerability. Great. It's complicated. It sort of lays the groundwork for what we want to do. Like, this is the central tension. Isn't that weird? And then like not really <laughs> going into it. And I think obviously, like we said at the beginning, we can't really get into everything now. But the function of this episode, I guess, is to raise these sort of like ooh uncomfortable moments um, and not just say, well, it's complicated. There's a podcast about the... Um art theft at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. I remember seeing from like someone who recommended the podcast that it was true crime, but kind of without the guilt. So it's it has all the maybe intrigue and storyline and good guys and bad guys that true crime has, but without the suffering of like individuals beyond maybe symbolic or financial for sure. And heists like are, I feel like in media portrayed as like good and exciting. And yeah, I was going to say also like the Robin Hood paradigm, Mm -hmm. like the idea that there's so much wealth in one place. It's pretty. It's beautiful, but it also sort of feels like, I don't know, when we saw those empty frames, like, you know what? Yeah, like stick it to the man Mm -hmm. or whatever. A little bit. And, you know, when we're listening to something like the Green River Killer, it's sort of like a reversed Robin Hood where it's like preying on the vulnerable population. And it's just interesting that we have the same appetite for that kind of excitement and maybe even more so like lately we've chosen like less voyeuristic episodes like the jfk assassination where like someone died there but they like they absolutely get into the like political implications Mm -hmm. and the like the harvey oswald's like kind of affiliations with communism and like what that means so like he was a really bad at being an effective communist yeah you're what we call a dork dork. (laughs) you're also talking about an article written by P.E. Moskowitz for Mother Jones about true crime as escapism, but also as cop propaganda. And they pointed out that, quote, true crime has become not only a way to soothe our own anxieties, but a method of recasting the world as fantasy. The bad cops in true crime tend to be the fascinating exceptions to the normal workings of the system, which itself is rarely questioned. The genre is the most dangerous kind of propaganda. It not only teaches us a lie, but makes us feel safe, and maybe even just, while learning it. I mean, I do think that's true still for something like My Favorite Murder, but I I think they do a decent job of nuancing that, and like, could obviously do a lot better. I was thinking about last podcast and the Hot Dog Squad, which is what they named the group of cops trying to find BTK, and they, they really emphasize the sort of bumbling idiocy of the various police departments that allow for killers to continue to kill. And for example, like with Jack Ruby, who was the murderer of Lee Harvey Oswald, he only got access to Oswald because his cop buddy left the door open for him to get down the ramp to see Oswald as he was being transferred. But I do believe that, you know, especially in like TV too, like the retired detective who has never given up on the case because he believes that he can find like that guy is is really vaunted for sure. Good. I think yeah, like or like just the police force as a whole. I think like from our perspective and I think from the true kind perspective, it's like if they're bad, if they mess up or if they are nefarious, it's like that has to be mentioned explicitly because that's not Mm. the assumption. If someone randomly gets if okay, if a young white woman gets attacked by a stranger and then gives a description, like, how many black men get harassed by the police after that? Right. Like, 
whether or not they fit the description. That's why I think it's so interesting that we gravitate towards this. It's weird because it's so gory, but it's also scrubbed clean of a certain social and political dimension that I think really needs to actually be there. Last podcast talks about this, and I was actually talking to my sister about this last night. There's a dead, which is like, you know, going back to, and this book will be coming up on our podcast because I just ordered it. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of the dead girl paradigm in media, like Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks, she launches a full-on multi-universe, like multi-dimensional investigation of her death because she's like the pretty white prom queen. And this happens in real life too. There's the dead and then there's the less dead. And yes, they do cover that, but it's not like there are dozens of episodes the way there are about like, you know, the victims of the Golden State Killer, the victims of, you know. I think all the heavy hitters target white women. Yeah, the co-eds like we were talking about before. Yeah. It's, well, when you talk like well-adjusted brunette middle part, and we're both like, yep. <laughs> one of um, Moskowitz's main points is that you know subverting the role of victimhood in consuming this media can't that be done without these sort of super gory descriptions and gruesome anecdotes of women being assaulted and women being raped and women being murdered, like drawing people thing. in with these graphic, yeah, like exploitative. But then it's, like, so that you can feel empowered, I guess. Yeah, I think so. For My Favorite Murder overall, like, they know their audience is mostly women. And there's, like, mm-hmm. they, I think early on, they, like, they talked about, like, if you feel unsafe, you can act on it and not feel, like, uncomfortable, you know, making a scene or whatever. This is sort of what we were getting at, too. Like, Moscow is talking about how these podcasts really are acting ultimately to our disservice, I okay. think. Yeah. Towards the end of the article, mm-hmm. it says... A woman's fear and anger can be powerful things. That's the virtue of true crime. No other genre gets to the core, nagging feeling that most, if not all, women harbor. That everything is fine, probably, but also might not be. But denuded of their political context, their radical potential, fear, and anger can become advertisements for the carceral state, for some of the sources of the very wounds they help to solve. The genre has found a sweet spot in American popular culture, offering catharsis without making any political or moral demands of its audience. There is something very wrong for women today, True Crime tells us. We are victims, never perpetrators, never citizens with a larger responsibility beyond calling the cops. We hope you enjoyed this introductory mini-sode, which purposefully asks more questions than it answers. Special thanks to my roommate, Pam Rosen, for her help on this first episode. We're going to delve even further into this series and our own complicity next week, and we hope that you'll join us. Have you got something to say? Find us on Instagram as at theallalonepod or email us at theallalonepod at gmail.com.